Thank you, Paul, and good afternoon. <clears throat> good to see each one of you here today. And uh, continue another week of warm weather and melting snow and all of the things that happen with that. But at any rate, here we are. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's turn to the book of 1 John once again. 1 John chapter 5, we'll be looking at the first, we'll read the first 12 verses and going as far as we're able. 1 John chapter 5, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. 1 John chapter 5. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him, that begat loveth Him also, that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And this is, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. And there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, that these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which He hath testified of His Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of His Son. This is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath the life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word, and let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we again, we thank You for the opportunity we have to go to the Word of God, to go to You specifically, individually, Father, between ourselves, but also even congregationally here as we are, and relationally, Father, that's personal. We thank You, Father, that that was made real and true through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that is truly God, His deity is full and complete, as well as He came in the flesh, a man. Father, He completed the task, the journey that was required, that He would pay for the sins of the world, living a perfect, sinless life. Truly, what a gift it is for us to enjoy salvation at the cost of Him. Father, today now, as we look at the Word of God that You've given to us in First John, we would ask specifically that You'd guide our hearts, our minds, everything that makes us who we are, that we would, for these moments, yield them to Yourself. We would ask that the words that are spoken and said would be solely and exclusively from the Holy Spirit, asking Him to be our teacher, using the Word of God to go to the innermost parts of who we are. Father, I thank You for those that have come out today that are interested in worshiping, praising, and lifting Your name and that you would bless them and their families, Father. We pray for those that are not able to be here today for various reasons, but we'd ask that you'd hold them close in your hands. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I might add, uh, after service, make sure to make yourself uh, known to Taylor. Taylor's been doing our night calving, and uh, he's helped us through some real serious jams, shall we say. It's been very difficult at times. And uh, so just raise your hand so they see you, Taylor. Very good. It's nice to have Taylor with us today, and uh, be sure to make him feel welcome. Well, as we go to 1 John, once again, we, uh, we uh, 
have been, I, I guess, encouraged by some things uh, that John kind of appears to. There's, there's several things that seem to kind of fit. And I like him from the sense he's very direct. There's not a lot of gray area. He says it's right or it's wrong. It's righteous or it's evil. It's good or it's bad. It's kind of like uh, just very direct, slices it off, and you know where he stands. Another thing we find about him, he's very relevant. Uh, this was written in probably A.D., I'm going to say probably about 60, probably, to 80 A.D. And John, what do we know about John? Now, talking about that fact that he's a direct, that he's relevant, there are the, the third thing I'll mention as well is that he, uh, he seems to speak with a great deal of authority. I mean, you, you, you listen when he speaks or he writes. As he, he's writing and we're, and we're listening and he's speaking as, through those words. There's, there's several things that stick out to me about John himself. Let's, let's just, just focus in on him. What, what do we know about John himself, the one that wrote this first John, the epistle? He was a believer. Certainly was a believer, absolutely. Yes, he was. And speak to that just full, more fully. Well, Jesus, he was called, he was his friend. He walked, he walked and ministered with Jesus Christ for three years. Uh, that's something that probably each and every one of us, certainly those that have trusted Christ as Savior, would count it as an incredible privilege. I think those, the, 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 the intimate, the 12 apostles, one of which proved to be Judas Iscariot, who was not part of the group, he was there, but he wasn't necessarily a believer. And there, there was a significant difference. But uh, I don't think they even understood the significance of their spending the time with Jesus. As he reached out to them, uh, very, it wasn't like it was a, a voting thing, and uh, they got the most votes. These 12 men were, were de- democratically elected. Well, of course not. Jesus actually invited them to be his disciples on a rather, I would just say, innocuous kind of occasion. I mean, he just, come and follow me. And they did. And it's interesting to know that John would have been one of those described as the beloved disciple. He was one that Jesus was very close to. He was part of the inner circle, if you will. And for three years, he walked and talked with Jesus Christ. Think of that. Now, that can give some sense of authority. I would have loved to have just heard Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount or whatever it might have, just, just to have just heard him. And you say, well, we are blessed, and we truly are. His word is within the Scripture. It's, it's awesome. But another thing, let's talk, what else about John? What else will we say in the sense of him being able to speak with authority? And by the way, as before, we, before you maybe answer that, there's a couple of things we talk about in John's style of his, he's addressing here in 1 John is the fact that he's literally addressing the people the very same way that Jesus Christ would. D- Jesus Christ, there was no gray air. It was very direct. It was very loving. He was very outgoing. But it was very clear the difference between right and wrong. He addressed his followers as little children and beloved. The same terms that John uses here in the first epistle. What else could we say about John that made him direct or in the sense of very forthright, very authoritative? And, and by the way, I say authoritative in a, in a nice way. A lot of times today when we, when we think of or someone is addressed or, or we're um, subjected to someone and they speak with a great deal of authority, there's some sense of, uh, um, what do I want to say, pride or arrogance. That, it's not what I'm talking about. This is authority with humility. And that's a, very, that's a very fine line sometimes, but I mean, he had it. He had authority based on these things we're talking about, but he did it very humbly and very lovingly, which, again, our favorite verse probably, or one of my favorite is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. And he did that very well. Now, talk to me another aspect about his life personally that made him, I think, more direct and relevant and authoritative. Yeah, ex- 
Exactly. Thank you. He was probably in his middle 90s. When you make it to the middle 90s, you can say what you want to say because you've lived through it, haven't you? You've seen it from all sides. And now, actually, another phase of that is the fact that he would have undergone a great deal of, of difficulty. He did not die a martyr at literally giving his life, but he did ultimately. He was exiled into the Isle of Patmos, which uh, by himself, and guess what? Uh, when they thought they were punishing him, he wrote the book of Revelation. And to, to our credit, what a, what a wonderful work that was actually given. But in, in all of those that trials and the troubles and all of that, it made him stronger and more relevant and more direct and in this case, even authoritative in speaking to those that God had given to him to write to. I, I think it's an outstanding uh, uh, introduction into what he's really literally done. I, and it, far from an introduction, we've been, how many, how many times have we been at First John now? What is this session? 13? 13 in five chapters. He's told we probably have two or three left to go. So at any rate, it's interesting. He, he, he affirms us in standing on truth with confidence and authority. Well, as we go back to 1 John chapter 5 to our text today, um, he starts off, I think it's important for us, uh, let's read verse 1, and then we're going to go back to the apostle, uh, or the gospel of John, as given to us, same writer. 1 John chapter 5 verse 1, let's read this, whosoever, 1 John chapter 5 verse 1, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, is born of God, everyone that believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Go back, hold your spot, we'll be right back. Let's turn to John, the, apostle, uh, the Gospel of John, written by the same beloved apostle, the one that walked with Jesus Christ. And John chapter 20 and verse 30, we're going to start there. These two verses literally define for us the purpose of John's first letter, the Gospel of John, which was written about the days of which he walks with Jesus Christ. John chapter 20, and let's look at verse 30. John 20 and verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. I, I, want, I want to expand upon that for just a second. In verse 30, it tells us that John is literally relaying, as he's, now he's closing out his, his gospel. He, he doesn't have much time. He's got one chapter left, but he, it's like he's significantly saying as we're closing out, I want you to know these are not all of the miracles, all of the signs that Jesus accomplished. But these are the ones that I've written unto you for this purpose, verse 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That literally, if you read 1 John chapter 5, let's do it one more time. Go back, turn back to our text. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Do you see, do you see it's, that's literally, he, it's a passion of his that he's trying to do, is making, you sure, making sure you understand what it is, that a Christian really is, making you understand fully what it means to be born of God. The word believe, what does that mean? And he mentioned it back in John chapter 20 and verse 30, those that believe. Tell me what believe means. To put total faith in. The word in the Greek actually, did someone say something else? Anyone? Nope. thought I heard something. Um, I'm going to try to find one of these that actually writes. I was struggling on Thursday night. Um, here we go. The word in the Greek for believe, in this case, is P-I-S-T-O-S, pistos. And the word behind, the, the meaning behind that is not to just the sense of make assent or to acknowledge. In other words, to say that, yes, Jesus Christ 
was who he said he was. To just literally say that's correct. No, it's deeper than that. This word means to be committed to, to be fully engaged with, to be an active faith, something that's truly and completely accepting and trusting within. Every single one of, this, these, of you in this room today, every single one outside of me is trusting fully in something. Right now, right this very second, you are trusting completely in the chairs. None of you probably questioned it. You just ambled in and you took a seat. Now, you didn't, I wonder if that's going to hold me. I wonder if it's structurally correct. I wonder if it's firm enough. I wonder if it's solid enough. I wonder if the legs. You literally exercised full commitment of pistos, a belief that it could be worthy of you trusting it with your weight. And you say, that is truly a picture of faith. And that's exactly what John is asking for us in the sense of, do you believe Jesus Christ? That, that, in back to chapter 5, verse, verse 1 in 1 John, believing that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Uh, when we say the word Christ, Jesus was his surname, if you will, like Joshua in the Old Testament, Hebrew. Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? Jesus is the Christ. heard several things out there. The word Christos, which would be the Greek word, would be the anointed one, the Messiah, the coming redeemer, which was literally, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the scriptures relate, relate to us after Adam and Eve fell, fell in the garden, not just falling down physically, but literally fell spiritually to where they sinned. They fell short of the glory of God. We all became sinners, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're all the agents of sin, and unfortunately, we can't do anything about it. There's nothing we can do about it. We might try, but ultimately there's still death. There's death that's before us that without any other Savior, we're desperately short of that situation. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and we're not going to go there, but write it down sometime. Or write it down, and you might look yourself. It's a very common passage to us. But the sense of this is God promised after the curse went to the serpent and to Eve and to Adam. And remember, how did they get there? It's amazing, each and every one of them basically blamed someone else for the situation that unfolded. It was the beginning of the blame game. Adam blamed the woman, who literally he blamed God for giving him the woman. Great, way to go. Eve blamed who? She blamed the serpent. The blame game was started. Sin always puts the picture on someone else. Today we're enamored with, today on the, on the highest levels of Congress, or we might find ourselves in national leadership positions, the sense of narcissism is an all-time high. It's all about me. It's all about how can I look better? How can I play? How can I spin? How can I make it someone else's fault? It's amazing. And it didn't start here. It started way back in the Garden of Eden. But one of the things that was said was the Redeemer, the promised one to come, of which was not named by Jesus Christ, but the Redeemer, the picture of buying ourselves out of that situation was very clearly uh, I'm going to say exploited or exhibited. To say that Jesus Christ, to believe that he is this Savior, this Redeemer, is to literally believe, to commit to, to be fully trusting that he's the only one that could literally get us out of the condition to which we find ourselves. That's what that means. That's in, and by the way, did you see about John? There's not either or or Jesus Christ himself. Very direct, very 
closed-minded, very intolerant. It's interesting, as a, just a little side. Tolerance today, we are asked to be very tolerant, aren't we? Now, it's interesting, the ones that are wanting us to be the most tolerant are the ones that literally tolerance means to them that you need to agree with me. Anything short of agreeing with me is seen you're not tolerant. That's not what the definition of the word is, because that's literally how it's described today, isn't it? Well, Jesus Christ said this in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes out of the Father except by or through me. That's pretty narrow. But that's what the message says. That's what Jesus said. That's what the Word says, and it's relevant for us today. Well, as we've gotten past the sense of believing, that being to rely upon, to trust in, to commit to fully and completely... Let's move on. There's something here that I think is very, very strong. As, uh, let's read. I'd like to read the first five verses again and, and, and just get a sense of what really John is wanting them to perceive. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, again goes, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. In other words, begotten of God. To be, to be begotten of God. I have to stop here for a minute. I was going to read five verses. I didn't get very far, did I? To be begotten is to be born of God, to be begotten of Him. This is very strong now. Once one is born, is there ever a sense of being unborn? No, of course not. That's very key because what he's saying, John is literally giving to us, is that, and we're going to be talking about eternal life, which is a gift, and when one is begotten of God, to be in the family of God, literally, you're not unborn out of it. You are given the faith, really, the faith that you trust Him with, this a faith that you've exercised, literally a picture of it, is the fact that you sat in a chair and you didn't think two times about it. You just sat in the chair. That's the same idea behind trusting and believing in Jesus Christ for your Savior, for the sense that He's able to handle anything that you need in the sense of everything that goes on around you. That faith is literally a gift from God as well. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it speaks to that. We'll be looking at that a little bit later. Continuing now, it says that, Everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. That's a long way around to say that essentially, if you, if you believe, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're believing that he in fact is God and God himself. We're going to get into this in a moment as well. And then really ultimately that faith produces a love for not only God, but also to those around you, to your brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ goes on to say, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God, stop, where did we see that last? Born of God, begotten of God, back in verse 1. Any of those now that are in Christ, that have trusted Him, believing in Him, being fully committed, being reliant upon, then it says this, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you see what he's doing here? He's really literally just pasting that home. He's pounding that home. But there's a word that came up about three times, not exactly the same word, in verses 4 and 5. And what is that? And he's really, this is something that we as believers in Jesus Christ have a great deal of confidence in. And this is what? He's describing us... If you're in Jesus Christ, if you're begotten of God and you trust Him, Jesus, that is, for who He is and what God said He is to be and they are equal, something happens. 
we become known as an overcomer. An overcomer. How many of you are overcomers today? Don't be so uh, excited. It's always uh, it's amazing how excited you get here. <laughs> Give me another word for an overcomer. It's actually in, in verse 4 as well. Let's, let's look at that for a second. Excuse me? Victor, exactly. To be a victor. How many of you want to be a victor? Hopefully all, you, all of you do. Nobody likes to lose. The really cool thing is, is if you're in Jesus Christ, you're unconquerable. You are beyond conquering. In fact, if you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it says we are more than conquerors. It's the same idea behind it, to be an overcomer. That word for overcomer actually comes from, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but we, you'll recognize it. A-O-I-N. And it means to be victorious, to be a victor. Now, the Greeks had a word. Now, this is a Greek word, by the way. And they were very high on one particular Greek goddess. And her name was... How many have some Nikes on today? That's right. Tony's got it right. It's a tennis shoe or an athletic shoe. Anyone? Any have Nikes on today? The idea, the idea behind it, not, I, I don't know exactly behind the company and all of that sort of thing. I'm not trying to pretend that. But the interesting thing is it's probably named after the sense of the goddess of victory. Leading any, if you, in other words, you have Nikes on, destined to victory. I wish it was only that easy, right? I tried it when I played basketball in high school. It did not work out quite as well for me. But nonetheless, the idea behind it is victory or victorious. That's the idea that actually is even in the Greek terminology that's used here. To win, to defeat, to gain victory, to conquer. There was a man by the name of Lord Nelson who was a military leader within uh, uh, um, Great Britain's ranks many, many years ago at the Battle of the Nile of which they had conquered France. Uh, he can't, this is a quote, and I think it's, it's kind of pertinent to what we're talking about. Quote, victory is not a large enough word to describe what took place. Isn't that right? That's, that's actually a really, really good way for us as Christians when we conquer the world. And, and, we're, and John, 1 John talks about, John talks about that uh, numerous times in overcoming the world. In fact, he, he talks about it here even in verse 4, to overcome the world. Let's, uh, let's look at some situations where literally Jesus Christ himself. Let's go to John chapter 16 and verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33 speaks to this. John 16 and verse 33. We'll start in verse 30. John 16, verse 30. His disciples, uh, verse 29, even better. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. He spoke to them somewhat in parable here. and And now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee? By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yes, is now come that you shall be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The reason that we can be overcomers is because Jesus Christ literally overcame the world as well. 
Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 37. One of I spoke of just a minute ago, but I want you to see it in your own Bible. It, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says this. Romans 8, 37. No, in all of these things, in fact, let's go back to verse 35. Who shall separate us? I steer all pages wrestling. Romans chapter 8. We're starting here and uh, maybe even dive into verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Great question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That pretty well covers it. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But he says no. Verse 37. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than victors. You know, the word is actually used is to be uh, super Nike or super conquerors. Not just winning, but literally winning big. A super conqueror. Invincible. You've heard of that word. Invincible. Truly, that is the picture that we in Jesus Christ have. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 12 for a moment. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 10 tells us of what Satan is actively doing today to you. If, you're in, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you have this accusation, this accuser, if you will. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him, how? By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. They overcame, again, you see that word of overcoming. Let's go to... Uh, Revelation chapter 27 and verse 7, the very end of Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7. 21, 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Speaking of the very last phase, if you will, of getting to the ultimate uh, heaven, if you will, and again, looking to those that are overcomers, those that are in Jesus Christ will overcome and ultimately be in his presence forever. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Go back there for just a second. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, keeping in mind that, that literally the overcomers to overcome the world. And it's not, only, it's not only a one-time thing, it's ongoing. It's permanent in the sense, but it still continues. It's a present tense. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, it says this. So speaking of Jesus Christ, again, the position you have, the superiority of Jesus Christ says this. Who hath delivered us... Who hath delivered us, there it is again, from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You'll see again that sense of deliverance, of overcoming. Very strong and, and strong position in the defining of what a, a overcomer is. And he has made you that if you are in Jesus Christ. Now there's overcomers are literally characterized by three things. One we've talked about in verse 1 already, the sense of faith faith. I had, uh, we, have a, we have a little box there, and uh, as most of you may know, we have on Thursday nights, um, those that are, we're, we're not really set on an age, but those that are probably in high school through uh, college age and even up towards 30 and above, um, it's a group we call Truth Seekers. And we have a little box there, and they can put in questions without saying who they are, uh, questions that may be pertinent to them. And uh, Actually, we had, we had, I had one after the fact on, on Thursday night. 
I have no idea who it was, and it doesn't matter, but there was a question that revolved around, is there, any, is there verses in the Scripture that tells us that Jesus is God? Is Jesus God? That's a great question, by the way. Uh, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The sense of three in one. One God, three personalities. Let's, let's look with that. that. Are any of you interested? Because here we're really talking about the fact that is, if we say that Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is God incarnate, that is to be he's all God and all man, which hurts your head. But let's look to the scriptures for a moment and, uh, and answer that question. Excuse me? Somebody say Emmanuel, God with us. That's literally what, at, on his birth, it was described to call him, thou shalt call him Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said, you have seen the Father if you have, since you have seen me. An interesting parallel, if you will, with that. God with us. And let's go to John chapter 10 for a moment in, in answering that question because I think it fits in very nicely today of where we're at in 1 John. But let's go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 30 through 33. John chapter 10. And let's watch Jesus in his words of what takes place. Um, I'd, I'm wondering where I should start. Uh, yeah, this, this would be fine. We'll just, uh, why don't we start in verse 22? This is at the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. John chapter 10, the Gospel of John. If you find chapter 10 in 1 John, then you're, you're, in, the wrong, you're in the wrong book, probably. Um, John, the Gospel, chapter 10, starting at verse 22. It was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. Jesus walked in the temple and in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, now think this. This is Jewish now. These are Jews. These are people that understand the picture. They understand the pattern. They understand the format. They understand the strategy that God had laid out with the Jews being the chosen people. When they said, Art thou the Messiah or the Christ? That's literally the Redeemer. He has claimed that, and they, how long are you going to let us doubt? Are you, is that really who you are? That's the question. Okay, let's go on. <clears throat> Tell us plainly. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. I give unto them eternal life. I give unto them eternal life. Fits perfectly what we'll talk about later. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Watch this, verse 30. I and my Father are one. What did they do immediately? They knew what he said. They didn't miss this one. It says in verse 31 that they took up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which one of those works do you stone me? And they answered, Watch, saying, For a good work we stone you not. But for blasphemy, because thou hast said, Being a man, thou makest thyself God. They knew exactly what he had said to be. That's why today, if, if someone says that they believe Jesus Christ was a good man that he was a good teacher, that he was a martyr, that he was all kind of functions outside of the fact that he was truly God. doesn't work. It doesn't count. It's not the deal because literally he said right here that he and my father are one. That's right. And, and again, thinking of the, the sense of Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of them being one, <coughs> three personalities, three functions, and yet co-equal. Let's continue. <coughs> Let's continue. Let's go to John chapter 8. 
and verse 58, John 8, 58, same book, and verse 58, John 8, 58. Um, let's see here. I want to pick up the context here. Let's, uh, let's start in verse 48. That'll, that'll get us where we need to. John chapter 8, verse 48, then answered the Jews. There's a lot more stuff here, but read chapter 8 on your own at home tonight. John chapter 8, verse 48 starts this way. Then answers the Jews, answered the Jews, said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself and my honor is nothing, it is my father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I should be a liar like you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Watch carefully. Thou art not yet fifty years old, and thou hast seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I tru uh, truly I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. What did he just say? He had declared himself to be God. That's the very picture that you saw in the Old Testament. I am who I am. Oh, and then I missed my place. Where did they, what did they do next? Verse 59. They took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. He, what is he doing? He himself now is declaring himself to be on the same page, equal with God, the Father, the Lord God, Yahweh, if you will. John chapter 1. John chapter... Boy, there's a lot of stuff in John, isn't there? Same guy that wrote 1 John. That's why he's saying and hitting in the same directions. John 1.1 1, 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word. Now, did you, hold on. I'm going to stop there for just a second. We read it today. Hold your spot. Turn back to 1 John. See how coordinated everyone is here? And turn to verse 7 of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Let's read verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So who are we talking about back in John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus Christ, okay? And the Word was with God. Watch. And the Word was God, capital G. Go to verse 14, fitting it all together. And the Word, you see it? Verse 14, chapter 1. The Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, Emmanuel, as we've said. And we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter, I'm sorry. Let's go to John chapter 20. We'll look at one more in John. John chapter 20 and verse 28. We'll look at this one. <clears throat> now, if you remember after Jesus' resurrection, uh, he appeared to the disciples at one occasion in Thomas... The one that even today, if, you, if, if, if you're in a situation and you don't believe something, they call you a doubting Thomas. It came from this particular apostle, which has infamously worn this uh, heritage all the way from there. But on one occasion, uh, 
Thomas was absent, and he said, until I see... In fact, let's look at verse 25, verse 24 of John chapter 20. It'll start right there. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. And he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into the side, I will not believe. Because he just doesn't believe it. Well, by the way, hold it, let's stop. Now, for us, it's very easy to kind of, kind of throw something at Mr. Doubting Thomas. But let's put you in the same light. Slip into the sandals of that man or any man or woman in that day. And now Jesus Christ, he had been watched. He there was, wasn't taken photo shots of, but there was many people that saw him crucified on a tree. He was dead. He declared at the very end his last breath. His last words were before his last breath. It is finished. It's complete. There's nothing remaining that I needed to accomplish. Then he was put into a grave. And then... Are you telling me that he came back from the dead in resurrected form? Is that what you're saying to me? That's why Thomas said, until I literally... In fact, it must have been somebody that looked like Jesus. It must have been somebody that sounded like Jesus. It must have been somebody other than Jesus that... I don't know, but I don't believe it. Would have you? Probably not. So let's be careful how we... But let's watch what happens. He takes a hard position, and it says in verse 26, After eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst, and says, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Same word that we're talking about today. And look what Thomas said. Thomas answered and said unto him, What? My Lord and who? My God. Capital G. He's literally at the point of worshiping him, which brings us to another position. Go to Revelation chapter 19. There's a very key point here. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Who do you worship? Who should you worship? It declares for us very clearly Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. And I, this is John. Is John not? He's covering his track. There's all kinds of places where John's been. This is John the Apostle in the book of Revelation in a vision. And he says, I, John, fell at his feet to worship him. Now, this is, uh, this is an angel that is declaring this message for him. And it's part of Revelation chapter 19. And he said this. He said unto me, see that thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what does he say? Worship only God. Worship only God. And you say, well, that's pretty elementary. Well, it's pretty clear as well. So let's go, to, uh, let's go back to Matthew for a moment. Matthew was the gospel written predominantly toward the Jews. It was written from their, their uh, viewpoint, if you will. And, so, and again, it, I think it had, lays a lot of credence to the fact of the things that are unfolded. Matthew chapter 14, let's look at verse 33. Verse 33, and if, if you follow this, we'll kind of get ourselves into this a little bit. Uh, let's start in verse 23, uh, Matthew chapter 14, 23, getting our context. It says, and when he had sent the multitudes away, speaking of Jesus, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. He went to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea and tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary or very, very high. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. 
We could talk a lot about that, but we'll keep going. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? One of Satan's greatest weapons is for us to doubt. When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. <laughs> Mark that for a moment. I mean, this thing is going crazy. Now, the, who do you know about? What are, who are these guys that are in the boat? Are they like me that's not very good at, I don't like to be on a boat. Anything over knee-deep water is too much. It's great for irrigating, but I don't like, I don't like water. I don't want to drown. I don't, none of that. And these, and these guys are in this boat, and here comes this man walking on the water towards him. That would bring a bit of a catch. And then the, literally, Peter says, he's the gutsy one in the group. He's always the one that is thrown off. Well, yeah, look at that. He just didn't have it. He had enough faith to get out of the boat. How about the other guys that never even tried to get out of the boat? But he, he actually, and he's fine as long as he's what? When he's focused on Jesus Christ, things are awesome. And then it said he saw the wind, or he's like taking into effect, of, I'm, I'm, I'm walking on the water, right? And then, whew, she starts to sink. Jesus reaches out his hand, calls him faithless. He said, why do you doubt? They get in the boat, and all of this crazy wild wind and storm, again, who are these men that are in this boat? They are commercial fishermen. These are ones that Jesus called to be fishers of men. These are ones that literally every day of their life almost would have been in the boat catching fish, knowing that this is not the first storm that happened to them. This one must have been a doozy. Steps in the boat. It's calm as a cucumber is what's coming to my mind. It doesn't really ring the bell, but <laughs> calm as sea as glass. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's just like just as soon as he, whoop, it's, it's that quiet. What do they say? Watch this. Verse 32, once again, when they were coming to the ship, when they, they, Peter and Jesus, were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And he said, Oh, no, 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 don't worship me. What did he say? He, he, he brought it on, bring it on, right? He, he never, ever said, Don't worship me. Let's continue. Let's go to... Uh, Matthew 28, Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. Matthew 28 and verse 9. Now this is, well, let's read it quickly. I hope, I hope you guys are okay with this. I love keeping context. That's the key to interpreting scriptures, understanding how it fits together. Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, this is Sunday morning, the end of the Sabbath being Saturday, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulcher. Which sepulcher? The one where Jesus Christ is buried. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not you, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, take, see the place where Jesus lay. They, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. They came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And he, then Jesus said unto them, don't worship. No, he said, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers that they go into Galilee to show, see me. What did he do? He accepted worship, of which only worship of God is acceptable. Turn down to verse 17, same chapter, just a few verses down. 
Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. He again received it. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Just a couple more. I want to make sure that you get some sense of what's going on here. It's a very common theme. Luke chapter 24 and verse 52. Start in verse 50. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. He led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. It came to pass while... Steer Hill pages turning. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And he came to pass while he blessed them. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And one more. John chapter 9. Let's go to the Gospel of John one more time. John chapter 9, verse 38. John 9 and verse 38. Verse 36, he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? I'm sorry, let's go to verse 35. Let's catch that up. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found them, he said unto them, dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And again, Jesus received it. He received it. Strong positioning. The other thing is that you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. When you think about the concept of who would be capable of literally taking the infinite penalty required of sin, it would require the fact that the Messiah, the Christos, the Christ, the Redeemer, would have to be God himself to be able to handle that project. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, For he hath made him... Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Only the Emmanuel, God with us, God himself could accomplish that. But here's another, here's another, if those, how many were geometry students? Just a few of you, very wise people, very wise people. But there were some things as you took geometry, I remember, I don't remember much. It was my least favorite class of math anyway. But if, if you could say something was, e- let's say something was equal, A was equal to C, and B was equal to C, then A equaled B. Did you follow that? Let's try it one more time. If A, and there was theorems, you were supposed to memorize all of those? I hated theorems. There was these things that just was so, ah, my, anyway, I don't get it. But if A, if you could prove that A was equal to C and B was equal to C, then A was equal to C. Thank you. You are geometry students right there. Let me try that one more time. I messed it up. I'm sorry. A equals C. B equals C. So A equals B. Okay? All equal. That was, that was my favorite when it was all so simple. I could say, oh, well, that's just simple. It's right there, just like that. Well, let's look at that, keeping that, that th- thing in your mind that I just confused you. It turned to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. Verse 8. Let's see. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. It says this, I am the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is, who is still to come, the Almighty One. 
okay? That would be attributed to Jehovah, our Father God, the Lord God, God the Father, okay? Turn with me to the same book, Revelation chapter 22, and let's look at verse 13. Revelation 22 and verse 13, the very last several verses of within, this, within the scripture. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. <clears throat> it says this. Now, this, this is, these are, let's see, how could I say this? Let's see. Let's start at verse uh, 7. Verse 7. This is Jesus' very words. He is speaking right here. Look, verse 7, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all of these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. And he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God just like you and your brothers and the prophets. I'm sorry. I, I am a servant of God just like you and your brothers and the prophets as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. And now watch. In verse 12, Jesus comes back on the scene speaking, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. What am I saying? Jesus is equal to God. And that is exactly what John is saying back in the text that we're reading today, 1 John chapter 5. Let's go back there. And I've probably got you about wore out. 1 John chapter, nobody replied, so I know it's true, I know it's true now. 1 John chapter 5, keeping that in mind, let's go back through once again, verse 1, which now I want to look at three quick, quickly, three characteristics or things that would describe an overcomer. We talked about the description of the overcomer, but I want to look at the descriptions. What would they look like? Verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born or begotten of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. That very thing, we've talked about that word belief in the sense of faith. An overcomer will trust in Jesus. He will be solely and completely reliant upon Jesus Christ. Uh, hold your place here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I want you to get a picture of faith in the way that it's actually literally given to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace, what's grace? Unmerited favor. Or if you took it and just took the acronym, the acronym G, God's riches at Christ's expense. Giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is literally receiving what you didn't earn or deserve. For by grace, unmerited favor, are you saved, how? Through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The very faith itself is a gift from God. That's one thing. As those that get into heaven because of the merits of Jesus Christ that was given to you, there would be, these, these would be conversations that wouldn't happen in heaven. These would not happen. Hey, Bob, good to see you. Hey, yeah, Jim, how's it going? 
How many good works did you do to get here? Well, 4,283. I'll beat you, 5,386, but who's counting? That is not going to happen. Why? Because you don't get there because of works. You're not rewarded with eternal life. Did you see what John said? Do you see what it said here? You are given. It is a gift. It is a gift. Sorry to really pronunciate that, but it is. It's nothing short of a gift. There's nothing that you did of yourself to get there. It is a gift. Continuing on, Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Isn't that what we do? Yeah, I looked pretty good last week. Well, I had like 18 good-looking servant things. I mean, I was on top of my game, and I mean, I made God look good. That was so sick, wasn't it? Thank you for just, uh, Larry, stop it. Exactly, and that is exactly what the picture is when we try to, of our own selves, look as though we are earning our way. No, 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 it's 100 times no, 1,000 times no. The only thing we've earned, you know what it says in Romans chapter 6? For the wages, that's what we've earned. Wages are what we've earned. If you go to work today, I'm sorry, if you go to work tomorrow, work for five days, at the end of it, you have earned a wage for what you've done. In the Bible, it says very clearly that the wages of sin, of which we are all sinners, we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. Did you catch that? All right. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, because of what Adam and Eve, they fell into sin. We've received that flesh, that sin nature, and we, it's part of the inherited package. You doubt me? Go ahead and go ahead and get that little baby, that one that's maybe two, and ask me how sanctified those little rascals are. It's full-blown, full-tilt, self-self, just exactly what comes with the package. Now, I didn't, if you have a two-year-old, I'm not mad about your two-year-old. It's great. We had five two-year-olds ourselves at one time. Not all at one time, no. We would have never survived, in fact. But the point of the matter was, sometime in each one of those children, they were two, right? But the point is, it all comes naturally that way. It, that's, and the wages of sin is death. That's what that's the Scripture says. So apart from Jesus Christ, apart from a fix, we're lost. We're literally lost. But look at verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus... On two good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with good works, people. Not a thing. It's great. What did you do with your life after Jesus Christ saved you? Before that, you wouldn't know good from bad. You don't have a clue. You're lost. It says we were actually children of disobedience, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 and 2. Faith. Faith, literally. Let's go back to 1 John, chapter 5. Let's start to get this thing coming, following together, if you will. Faith is literally the truth. Faith in the truth. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the fact and relying on Him completely. That one is born of God. That makes you an overcomer. Number two, it goes on in verse two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Now listen, these these three steps or these three things actually integrate within one another. The faith that saved you, the faith that puts you within Jesus Christ, the faith, the reliance that you have to receive grace, to literally have eternal life, it produces, by this we know, it produces the love that the children of God, which we love God and keep His commandments. It produces love of God and others. Turn back to chapter 4 of 1 John, verse 7. Just across the page, probably for most of you, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Same picture. He's coming back to verse chapter 5, saying the same thing. If you're born of God, you will love others. You will love God. 
The third characteristic that we find here is the fact that not only does faith produce love for God and others, but love produces obedience to the word. Let's go to verse 3, chapter 5, verse John. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. In other words, there's a, there's a, we've talked about this a number of times, but there's sometimes we have to do something and the difference between have to and want to is what? Love. When you want to do something, that's love. That was the thing. And when you think about the fact of Adam and Eve, many of those outside of, certainly outside of the body of Christ, they said, well, why, why did God put that thing, that tree in the middle of the garden for them to have the opportunity to disobey? Why didn't he just leave it out of the garden? That's right, because love without a choice is not love at all. And how we're, this is really key. Genesis 1.26 says what? And God made us. I'm sorry. And God made man in his, or it says in our image. Again, plural, our image. When you do that, that means there's freedom. You have the ability to choose. If you did not have the ability to choose, you show me how love on a forced level is love. It isn't that way. It doesn't work that way. You don't buy a, a, a wedding ring or, a, or an engagement ring for your, for your wife to be. I hope this isn't true because I have to, right? Don't tell me. You, you guys are way too. T- that's, that should, you guys should be laughing, but you're not. Yeah, I had to buy her an engagement ring. No, hope. I, no, love. It, it's because love allowed you to do that. It opened your heart for it. It was an open choice for you to want to do that. You guys look like that's in shock. I mean, I'm going to leave that one lay for a bit. I'm going to leave it lay, okay? But love truly and completely is a choice. And as we have faith-producing love and the love-producing obedience, let's go to Ecclesiastes for a moment, and let's look at, verses, at verse 13. Ecclesiastes 12, that would have been a, that's an amazing book written by Solomon, the wisest fool that ever lived. That is an oxymoron. He knew so much. He had such a relationship with God, and then through the course of the world literally lost. That's, oops, I'm in the Song of Solomon. That's not going to work out for me. Ecclesiastes, there we go, chapter 12 and verse 13. We're at the very end of the, of the book. He's went through a lot of things. He sought out almost every imaginable thing, looking for contentment, satisfaction. Verse 13, he comes to a conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You, get it, you cut it all through it, and obedience to God is the number one most important thing. Let's turn to, uh, remember the first king that uh, Israel had? First one, what was his name? Saul. First Samuel, let's go there for a moment. First Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel 15. I'll be there in a minute. I'm going the wrong way for a while. First Samuel 15. And many of you know the story. He, uh, Saul partially obeyed. He was to fight the Amalekites to completely destroy them. Verse 3 of chapter 15. And uh, he, uh, verse 9 says that Saul and the people spared Agag. That would be the king of the Amalekites. And the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fatlings, of the lambs, and all that was good. And would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuge, that they destroyed utterly. What is that called? That's called partial obedience. 
Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, he cried unto the Lord all night. When Samuel rose early the next when Samuel rose early to meet Samuel in the morning, Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Did you see it? And Samuel said, what, uh, what, what, what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? To which Saul said, watch, uh, um, well, uh, they, they, they brought him from Amalekites. Uh, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice on the Lord thy God, and the rest we've utterly destroyed. What is that deal? That is covering your behind, Right? wasn't my fault. Oh, and by the way, they were going to offer him to God anyway. Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto Saon, Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners on the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said unto Samuel, Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice on the Lord thy God. Doesn't that sound smooth? Doesn't that sound really? Let's be honest. Doesn't that sound really good? Yeah, we kept the best stuff because we could just offer it to God. We wanted to give it to God. We wanted to give it to God. Now watch what's said. This is a verse you should have circled, you should have underlined. You want it part of your very innermost part of your thought and being. Verse 22, Samuel said, Hath God as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That is a magnificent truth we should never lose sight of. Sometimes it's like we want to make a deal with God, and he really wants us to just obey. Just simply trust and obey. Those are three basic characteristics of an overcomer. One that would obey the word of God. One that would, I've already forgotten it, love God and, and, and uh, those in the family of God. And ultimately, showing faith by trusting Jesus Christ, relying totally and completely upon, and being able to say that Jesus Christ is the very God. Emmanuel, God with us. Those three things would be distinguishing characteristics, specifically revolving around those that are declared and described as overcomers. I'd like to look at two other verses, and we're going to come back um, and, and tie this together next week, Lord willing. But let's look at 1 John chapter 5, and let's look at verses 11 and 12. Probably the clear, one of the clearest two verses in the sense of salvation of of, the, of eternal life, shall we say. In 1 John chapter 5, let's look at verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. This is the record. This is the truth. That God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Very determined, very distinct, very direct, very relevant... Basically, we could say that as in three things. First of all, eternal life is a, I'm trying to say, gift. It is a gift. It is not a reward. 
It is not a purchased thing. It's not on somewhere to trade for it. It's not somehow that you can maneuver into it. It's not something that, it's a gift. It truly is a gift. He specifically says that. But it's also this, that gift, eternal life, is sourced in a life. Eternal life is sourced in a life. Whose life? The Son in Jesus Christ. Literally, that life is in Jesus Christ. The other thing you see is that in verse 12, he that hath the Son hath life. It's not like, so have, you, have, you, have you thought about it this way? I'm going to try to, if you have, I'm hopefully to redirect you. We think of eternal life that, oh, that's in heaven and someday we'll be there. Someday we'll have eternal life. No, it's a present possession. Literally, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, relying completely and fully upon Him and what He's accomplished for you, then that becomes a present possession, never to be lost, because you can't be unborn. That is fabulous news. And that's not me. That's what the Bible, that's what the Scripture says, literally. He who has the Son hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life. Just as clear as he's saying, just as those that have life with the Son, those that don't have the li- do not have the Son, do not have life, which is ultimately saying that ultimately hell is the reward of that end about. So the point of this is make sure you have the Son. Make sure that you have the Son. We talked about it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. That that's the picture. For by grace you're saved through faith. And that, not of, and that is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you see, it, there's some very clear directions in theology that, that we're understanding here. The fact that Jesus is God. And that the source of eternal life is God. It is Jesus Christ. And eternal life is a gift. And it's all sourced in Him. So make sure, bottom line, make sure. You have the Son. And how do you get the Son? For whosoever believeth in Him shall have everlasting life. Absolutely. John 3.16. Another John one, right? Was he, not, was he not interested in people finding the Son? In every way, shape, and form. Every way, shape, and form. And today, it's, it's just really that simple. If you're willing to trust Jesus Christ with who you are completely, completely, and literally, the Son is yours. And you get accessory packages, unbelievable. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. It stays forever. Because you are a purchased possession. You've never been unborn. Because you can't be unborn. You're begotten of God. That faith will continue to exist because it's God's faith that's given to you. These should be, these are, he's writing these characteristics to literally cheer us up, to give us a sense of, ah, it's so good to hear that confirmation. Those are the things that I really need to know. Those are the things that give me confidence in a very messed up world. First John is an absolute super place for us to be right now. I have one question. Yes. Okay. So 
Talking God the Father, yes. So, okay. God the Father, yes. Correct. And again, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All of those are separate, distinct personalities, have their own jobs, if you will. I've got to be careful how I say that. But Jesus, Jesus Christ, or God the Son's position and his, his, his job was what? Was to be the source of salvation. And literally now, as he's finishing that mission, I, I, I should say, a job is not the right word, his mission. This was part, and I want to show something else. Let's do this before we do this anymore. This, let's go to Ephesians. Hold that, that thought in Mark, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, and let's look at something here. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, and let's, let's Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 3. This is talking about position of the believers, but I want, there's a, there's a passage of this that I want you to get, that this wasn't an afterthought. Before we do that, I want you to think about this for a second. Okay, so here's out. We, we create the paradise. We create the perfect garden. We pre- everything's perfect, and God says, what? It's very good, right? After, after, after he made the woman, he said, it's very good. Before the woman, it was good. After it was very good, okay? And here we come. Here comes Adam and Eve. That's going to be happily ever after, isn't it? It's going to go on forever. They sin. They fall short. And God says, oh, I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming. What are we going to do now? I want to talk about that for a second. I've got you in Ephesians, but let's step back into verse verse 1 of Genesis, and I want to see the pronoun that's used actually in regard to this. Adam and Eve have not even been created. They've been creating things, and I'm saying they. Watch this. Watch Genesis 1.1. Okay? Start there. In the beginning, God... Elohim would be the Hebrew word. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Watch Genesis 1.26. Watch this. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see it? One God, obviously more personalities. Back to Ephesians, though. God was not stymied or caught surprised by what Adam and Eve did. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's look now. At verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. It's all in him. That's position. That's what it's about. Watch verse 4. According as he hath chosen us, these are, who did he write to? Look at verse 1. Verse 1, same chapter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints to the believers, to the Christians which are at Ephesus. So he's writing to believers. Go back to verse 4. According as he hath chosen us, Christians, in him, in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. He'd already determined that there was a salvation plan necessary. And you say, well, yeah, God knows everything. But he'd planned it before he made him. And then Jesus Christ, God the Son, is that part of the Trinity, that part of the God, the God, that was responsible for that. Now, you get to the very end, and he's about to be offered up. He's at the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm telling you what, all of this weight is starting to really, really be heavy. Jesus Christ knows what's going to happen. In fact, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see this. Jesus did not die a martyr. I want you to get that. It's very, very, very important. He did not die at the hands of men. He was not a martyr. In fact, watch Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at verses 1. We'll start there. Now, what do we know about Hebrews chapter 11? What is Hebrews chapter 11 all about? We would call it the hall of faith. Every one of those listed in Hebrews chapter 11 
are literally those that exercise believing, trusting, relying completely upon God, not even knowing Jesus Christ's name yet, but they trusted him for what he had said he was going to do for mankind in the sense of salvation. Chapter 12 follows up saying this, Wherefore, because of this, because of their faith, seeing we also are compassed or surrounded about with so great a crowd of witnesses listed in chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight every, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience, endurance, the race that is set before us. Watch. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Watch. For who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did you see that? He did not die a martyr. He literally gave his life in joy, knowing that he would be reconnected in fellowship. Koinonia is the word we've been using in 1 John that would tie us back to the Father because he would pay for sin. Enduring the cross for joy. But let's come back, to, let's come back yeah, where you were at. Mark chapter 14. The fact of the matter is, now we're, he's just had his last supper, what we would call the last time together with his disciples. And they've communed. And they go out to pray. And what happens to everybody else? They fell asleep. Several times. And Jesus is at the point of such distress, such overpowering compassion. I'm, I'm, a passion, let me say it that way. Overpowering compassion, literally, he is sweating drops of blood. And this prayer is this, if there's any, and he knows what's going to happen. I mean, he knows what's going to happen. He said, there's any way, if there's any other way for this to happen, in fact, this, these words are for us. These words are for us. If there was any other way than Jesus, any other way than Jesus, Jesus is saying, may that happen. But whose will and how did it have to be accomplished? What happened? Ultimately, he gave his life. And that emotion right there, Gail, that is something that I can't fully understand. In fact, if you see when he was then nailed to the cross from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, literally the world was dark because God turned his back on the one that was part of him because he was wearing the weight of sin of which God cannot know. Except Jesus who was dying, who knew no sin. And that's why he and he alone is the only one that we can have faith or complete reliance, commitment to, to save us from our sin. There's no other way. And that's according to the Scripture. I couldn't make it up. It's too wild, isn't it? It's too fantastic. It's too wide. For God to come to this very earth and die for mankind, I would have just started over. Let's try Sam and Jill. Let's try something else. And God says, no, let's do it this way. Let's redeem back what was stolen from the enemy. Let's buy back what was stolen. And Jesus accomplished that fully, completely. When he said it is finished, the work was done. And that Jesus is available. He's available right now to the very opening of your heart, asking him to come into your life. And your life will be changed from the inside out. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for the word of God, the fact that we can look to it with truth and a foundation in our life. How powerful it is. Father, and it's a world that's gone dark. The scriptures are not held to any sense of elevation anymore in our land. We're described as a Christian nation, and we're not following after Christ in any way. Father, I just cry out to you to reignite, to bring the scriptures to a new light. But Father, even within this group today, there may be someone that does not know Jesus personally. A personal relationship, God, you have made it available 
and not just potentially, but you have wanted to make it personally, just as Jesus Christ personally came to the earth, he being all God, all man, lived for 33 years, the last three years, ministering and serving and performing miracles, showing men and women that he was the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Son of Man, he, Emmanuel, God with us. And then he joyfully, as it says, endured the cross, died on Calvary's tree to take away the sins of the world, mine and everyone in this room. And, Father, to appropriate that great gift of grace, that unfolding of your love, Father, at the expense of Jesus Christ, when we just yield ourselves and say, Lord God, I can't do it my way. I fall short. I repent of my sins and the white lifestyle that I've engaged in. It's just become natural. It's just who I am, Father. I can't, I can't help myself. I reach out and I accept Jesus Christ. I rely totally and completely and trust Him with my life. And when one does that, Father, literally, you've promised that, that Jesus Christ would be His, that he, would be in, he or she would be in Christ positionally. He would be born, begotten, as John would say, begotten of the only God. Not ever to replace. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them, using the Word of God to guide and direct their lives. Father, we're not perfect, obviously. The flesh nature does not go away. But we can win the victory because, as John said today, you can be an overcomer when you were begotten of God. Those that believe Jesus Christ, that trust Him completely. What a promise. What a gift eternal life, and all of the other aspects that are in Jesus. Father, I just pray that the word would go out, it would completely cover the land. As the gospel goes out, Father, may the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit go with it. May we return back to the God of our forefathers. Thank you for what you're doing. We love Jesus for what he's done. And now we offer this up to you. Give us everything that we need, Father, to get through this week. Allow us to see you more clearly, more pertinently, and that you'd help us relationally to be as close to you as we've ever been as we yield our members to you. Give us safety, Father. There will be people that will come in our lives that will be just exactly who they need to meet, not because of us, but because of you in us. May lives be touched because that's the way you work. Father, we're humbled to be servants of yours, we're humbled to receive your grace at the cost of what Jesus had to endure. And now these things we ask in his precious name.